in session with Dr. Farid Holaku. Good evening and welcome to In Session with Dr. Farid Hulakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Farid Hulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number is 310-441-0555. Before I do the summary for the book for this past week, I want to announce the book for next week, and that is The Willpower Instinct by Kelly Mc. McGonagall. I hope I'm saying that right. I probably am not. It doesn't sound right to me. Kelly McGonagall. I'll post a picture of that um, by probably tomorrow. And actually, this book was recommended to me by a caller a few months back and uh, just getting around to reading it. So, The Willpower Instinct, How Self-Control Works, Why It Matters, and What You Can Do to Get More of It. And uh, the author is a professor at Stanford University where she teaches um, one of the things she does is a 10-week course on willpower and the book in a way she says goes over that I just started it today so I hope you'll join me in reading that and I'll talk about it next week the book for this past week though was quiet by Susan Cain quiet the power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking and I really enjoyed this book it definitely was eye-opening at times and I'd heard a lot of good things about it, and I'm glad I got around to reading it uh, this past week. Um, but Susan Cain herself, an introvert, talks about how things have shifted in recent generations where we have made the ideal personality, which she calls the extrovert ideal. So let me just quickly discuss what introverts and extroverts are. There are lots of different ways to define that. Uh, term or those terms. But one that she talks about that I also like is by uh, Carl Jung, who says that introverts are drawn to the inner world of thought and feeling, extroverts to the external life of people and activities. Introverts focus on the meaning they make of the events swirling around them. Extroverts plunge into the events themselves. Introverts recharge their batteries by being alone Extroverts need to recharge when they don't socialize enough. And most of us have heard these terms before. People say, oh, he's such an introvert or she's such an extrovert. But really, when we think about introverts, they're usually people that are quieter, as the title of the book itself might imply, more to themselves, prefer um, smaller groups or smaller um interactions and even prefer being alone at times and extroverts are people that are very talkative like to be around lots of people you might consider them the life of the party and they prefer acting and being involved rather than thinking and reflecting which is something that introverts oftentimes prefer and of course we don't want to look at any type of trait as black or white so no one is 
purely extrovert or purely introvert, but it can be good to understand yourself better to know which one really you are, what's more your style. Um, are you more of an introvert and an extra or an extrovert? And she has some questions that can help you determine that to look at which one might describe your personality more. But as I was mentioning, she talks about how recently becoming an extrovert has become the idea that that's the ideal self to be the alpha, to be comfortable in the spotlight, to want to talk to everyone and to be loud. We, we kind of have praised this idea of being loud. And even research shows some of this. For example, people who talk more uh, are assumed to be smarter and even better looking just because they talked more. Or if they do research on problem solving, we see that it's not the best ideas that get selected. It's usually the ones that were presented the most forcefully, that someone said more loudly, more confidently. And you could see this all around us. People are swayed so much by how people say things rather than really looking at what's there. The presentation is oftentimes much more important than the actual substance. And that, of course, is not good for all of us when we look at a, for example, political debate or when politicians are running for office. And I've spoke about it before that very often we are voting more with our gut or our emotions than our heads. We'd like to think that we think things through and because we've looked at all the different important points in the election and the different uh, platforms, we make our decision. But really, it does come down more to emotionally who we feel more comfortable or aligned with. And I think this last election reflected that pretty strongly, where we saw people voting with their gut. Um, she also talks about in this book how we've also shifted from the culture of character to the culture of personality. And I've talked about this before in Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, how he talks about the culture, uh, the personality ethic versus the character ethic. And the character ethic means that we used to value things like being uh, serious, disciplined, honorable, integrity, things like that. But now we're moving more towards this culture of personality or the personality ethic, even in the self-help literature, we see this where the focus is more on how you look or appear, um, how to make lots of friends, how to look like a leader, how to become irresistible to other people, how to make people like you. And unfortunately, there are some negative consequences because of that. So what I really liked about the book was, first of all, it opened my eyes to seeing how I myself have this extrovert ideal or bias to assume that being an extrovert is better than being an introvert, or even in working with couples or in working with individuals or talking to people, seeing that if someone becomes more extroverted, we somehow think of it as a good thing. Um, and so she talks about how we need to recognize the strength and the value of introverts. Introverts are much more likely to think things through. They can sometimes see what's going on a little bit better because they hang back a bit. They're not as involved in what's going on, but they can, because of that, take a step back and see what's going on. Lots of great figures throughout history have been introverts, from artists like Vincent van Gogh to activists like Rosa Parks 
or Mahatma Gandhi even, who that can be shocking, but she talks about him and how, well, you'd assume if he's such a strong leader, he must be an extrovert, but he was in fact an introvert. And that's another thing she talks about in this book, the idea that a leader has to be an extrovert. To be a good leader, you have to be charismatic and talk in a certain way, and that this isn't always true and not even true for all cultures. Sometimes there can be a lot of wisdom in someone who is an introvert who is much more likely to uh, think things through and to not just jump in and also even think about making decisions. Introverts are more likely to think things through, be a little bit more risk-averse, and to not just jump at something. And also there tend to be better listeners so they can actually hear the ideas of people and hear the ideas of the people that they're leading to make better decisions. Um, she also talks about the book, how there's new idea or ideal of creativity or in the workforce that everyone has to work together in big groups at the same time. Um, and she talks about the new group think or one of the ideas of brainstorming, how people think, okay, if you want to come up with a good idea, get everyone in a room and just anyone could say any idea that comes to their mind, no judgment, and let's just see what happens. But the research finds that although we think this is better, you actually get a lot more and a lot better ideas if you let people think independently first on their own and then come back together later and now have all the ideas. As much as we try to create a safe space and have everyone say whatever they want, it doesn't really work that way. Um, so the idea of open office plans and have everything be collaborative and everyone work all together, although it sounds nice at times and has become in some ways uh, the, the norm, it seems that it's not always the best thing. So actually, in a work environment, you want to have both types of opportunities, sometimes working together, sometimes working independently, and especially for certain individuals, we'll find that some types of uh, working um, modalities are going to be better than others. And we can, of course, transfer this, and she talks about how it relates to education as well. The new ideal is that kids should be talkative and they should be um, speaking their mind loudly. And if they're being quiet or shy, this is something really negative. And she talks about this, how we look at the word shy as almost a bad word. And parents, if they have a shy child, one of the things they think they need to do is to take the shyness out of them to make sure they're not shy anymore. Now, you can be shy for different reasons. For example, someone might have very low self-esteem or have serious social anxiety, which can be looked at and they can maybe get some help there. But sometimes even part of our social anxiety can be part of our character, part of who we are. So we want to look at who your child is as always and recognize that there isn't just one ideal. So if you have two kids and one is more outgoing and talkative and uh, people tend to like that and you have one kid that's more quiet, treasure your quiet child. Don't make that child feel bad for who he or she is. That could just be their temperament and who they are and allow for them to be that and make sure they feel okay being that. She says it herself, don't call your, ch shy, your child shy in front of them ever. Don't make them feel bad about that. Let them know that some people respond to some different situations differently and that's okay. 
someone likes to jump right in, you like to look at things a little bit and then get involved. And that's okay. It doesn't mean it's bad. And even some research shows that people's brains can react differently. Some brains are more highly reactive than others. So we can look at something like being shy or introverted, although not completely in the same way. But imagine two people walk into a room that's set at a certain temperature. One person is warm and the other person is cold. It doesn't make either one of them good or bad, but it's just a different reaction they have to the same environment. And we have to look at that and accept that. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that if you're an introvert, you shouldn't do anything to challenge yourself. Or if you have a child that's an introvert, you should never challenge them or help them grow. One of our jobs as parents is to allow or create opportunities for our children to grow. They might be afraid of, let's say, new social activities or interactions or parties, but that doesn't mean we say, okay, just sit in your room and never come out. But we try to safely give them the space to encourage them to try new things, not to push them too hard, but to encourage them a little bit out of their comfort zone so they can grow. Um, lots of great minds have great ideas, but if they can't share them with anyone, there is a problem. Now they might feel more comfortable writing and that's okay, but also they might at times have to give a talk somewhere. And she talks about introverts who are public speakers and things they've done to overcome that. So it's not that if you're an introvert, you are doomed for the rest of your life that you can never give a talk or go to a party and enjoy yourself, but you might be a little bit different than an extrovert who might be more comfortable in those types of situations. So the book does a good job of looking at what an extrovert and introvert are, uh, different research, even looking at the brain and how we behave based on that and how we judge each other based on how we interact, but also the biases that we hold about introverts and extroverts and how we can even have something like a quiet revolution where we recognize the importance of introversion and those qualities that always being on the go, jumping before you think, um, and just interacting in a certain way isn't right for everyone. And there's something good about being more reflective and thinking to yourself and on your own as well. And a good balance is okay. And more important than anything to thine own self, be true, know yourself and be yourself. So if you're an extrovert, that's okay. We're not saying now that that is bad, but also if you're an introvert, doesn't mean there's something wrong with you that can be okay. And you can actually value and treasure those aspects of your personality. You don't have to feel bad about them anymore. So I thought that was one really good take home from the book that I enjoyed. Um, and I hope if you haven't read it, you will read it, whether you're an introvert or not, as she puts it somewhere between, um, 30% to 50% of people are introverts. So that means at least about one out of almost every three people are an introvert. So if you're not one yourself, then you most definitely know one, might be married to one or definitely work with some. So it can be good to become more familiar with that. So check out the book Quiet by Susan Cain if you haven't read it already. And then the book for this week that I'll discuss next week is The Willpower Instinct by Kelly McGonigal. I'm saying that wrong still. Okay. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dawakwe.
back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Um, hi, Dr. Hi, thank you for calling. Um, thank you for having me on the line. Sure. Um, go ahead. Uh, I have a um, three-year-and-a-half-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. She has sensory processing disorder. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is the big challenge in our life. Sure. Um, I need to know that. Um, can you help me to understand her and her feelings? Okay. So you said she's three-and-a-half. Yes. Okay. Did they tell you what she has a hard time processing? Yes, she does. Do they tell you... Is it like her vision, her hearing? What is it that she has a hard time with? Is there anything specific? Um, uh, it's, it seems, I, I'm not sure. It seems that it's the whole thing, you know. Um, for example, uh, she doesn't feel the pain mm. as other people do. Is she more sensitive? She is less sensitive. Okay. Um, but, um, for example... Um, she broke her head. Hmm. She even didn't cry. She had the stitches on her forehead, uh, but she didn't cry. But um, I know it was very painful if it was another baby. But for example, um, something else. Then a toy of her is um, down on the street. It's more painful for her. She can cry for two hours for uh, so for a toy. Hmm. Well, that's yeah. that might be different than the sensory part. Um, she might just be more, uh, you know, th- there could be more going on than the sensory issue. But, you know, you're asking me to tell you to try to understand her. And that the reason I was asking you is that like almost any disorder, there's always going to be different types and each child is going to experience it differently. So we know your child, if you're saying sensory processing, there's something wrong with the way that she is as the the name implies that she's processing information, sensory things, and you have to try to understand her better. Now, one very important thing to understand is that she's not trying to be this way. And this is true of anyone in general, um, but when we have kids that are dealing with some kind of issue that we don't ourselves experience, we have to understand that she's not trying to be difficult when you see her having these problems because sometimes we, we think well it's in their head maybe they can change it but something's happening in her head that's not happening in your head or my head so if you see her get really upset about something don't just think she's being difficult try to understand that maybe it's harder for her i just used the analogy in the previous segment that you know you and her might walk into the same room and you're warm and she's cold she's not trying to be cold she just feels cold so you have to try your best to understand that she is just experiencing things a little bit differently. And what you mentioned about pain is very interesting because in general we would think not feeling pain is a good thing. And even I hear people say this about emotional pain, that it would be so nice not to get sad or not to get mad. But the pain gives us information. And unfortunately for, for your daughter, what you guys have to be careful for is she might be hurting herself, but if she doesn't feel the pain, she might not realize it. So she has to be even more aware of what's going on, or you probably have to see doctors more regularly to make sure she's not hurt in some way and could further hurt herself. But she's not getting that information from her body about how she feels, and that's a problem. What made you aware that she had a problem to begin with or she had this issue? Um, 
Um, pardon me? What was it that made you realize she might have some type of issue um, to get this uh, diagnosis? You know, since she was born, um, she had many problems. I uh, knew that uh, she these things are not normal. Uh, although she's my first baby, mm-hmm. I knew that there's something wrong with this baby. As Dr. Holofsky said in his CD, there are some babies who are not comfortable, who cry in the evening, mm-hmm. who push their legs to the stomach. They continue crying for three or four hours. Um, and I had all the problems. He has a sleep issue. He never, She never slept through the night. Mm. So... And I always told her pediatrician that there's something wrong with this baby, and nobody did understand me. Finally, uh, by the age of two, there were some psychologists who uh, I asked to call and see her. I explained what's wrong. For example, when it's windy, we live in Chicago. It's very windy here. Mm-hmm. When it's windy, um, she feels uncomfortable. She cries and asks for blankets. Or she bumps her head to different objects. Mm-hmm. And... Um, um, for example, she hits herself to the, uh, she bumps her head to the wall and um, uh, keeps her uh, forehead with her hand. I know she's suffering, but she um, she needs that she she looks that she needs this pressure, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's very dangerous because he's very act- she's very active, and yeah. I can't control her. She doesn't at the age of three she doesn't listen to me. And um, she always does dangerous things. Well, uh, you know, a lot of three-year-olds won't be listening to their parents. Uh, I know it could be difficult. So that might not be part of what she's dealing with here. It might just be part of being three. And she's not going to always listen to you, and she really is not supposed to. But I understand what you're saying, that it is. Uh, it worries you because she might do things that are unsafe and maybe doesn't even feel the pain on top of that. What kind of treatment did they suggest? Because I know there are things like sensory um, integration therapy. In, um, occupational therapy. Yes. Okay. And sensory integration ter- therapy is kind of like a type of occupational therapy. Good. So have you guys started that? Yes, since she was two years and four months. Okay. And now she's going to preschool and they have continuing treatment at the school. For the, um, for the occupational therapy. Okay. Do you feel like it's been helpful? Um, she's very good at school, but this summer we had very hard time. You know, I have another baby who is one year and a half. Mm-hmm. She hits the baby a lot. Mm. She hits everybody. She hits herself. She hits me, daddy, her brother. Um, what he- else? Yeah. You know, one thing I'll tell you, you know, one thing with sensory processing disorder, um, there also can be an overlap or comorbidity with autism. Have they mentioned anything about that to you? Yes, they said that. Um, I've read many articles about that. Yeah. There are some um, um, some similar points yes. in autism and um, sensory processing, uh, sensory issues, but um, those babies who have... Um, Autism has some more problems. You know, the therapist are sure that she doesn't have autism. Okay. She does eye contact. Um, she talks uh, two languages almost completely, Persian and English. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? She is very socialized. So she likes to socialize. Yes. Okay. So then maybe it's not 
then she doesn't have autism um, because there is some overlap in the symptoms or sometimes you can see that. So it seems like, you know, she's going to have a hard time, though. Even at school, it could be a challenge for her with the other kids, things like that. You have to be aware that your kid has, as we call it, special needs. And so we have to make sure we take care of her, continue the treatment for sure, um, the sensor, the, the therapy that she's doing. Even if it's more than just what they do at school, go go beyond that. See what else you can do if she can get even more therapy because that can help. We, we want to make sure you do everything you can to help her with that. Uh-huh. And um, I have a question. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, um, as a three-and-a-half-year-old child, she, she is very independent in some point, mm-hmm. but she doesn't want to be alone at all. She wants me to be by her all the time. Mm. And, you know, when, because of having another baby, um, since my second was born, we had very hard time. I have to change the baby. I have to feed the baby. Um, yes. And she can't tolerate. She wants, when she wants to go to potty, she wants me to be there. When she wants to do painting, she wants me to be there. And she can't tolerate. So I hold the baby. I pay attention to the baby. I know it's normal, but yeah, um, it is normal to a degree. Is well, is your is your husband um, also helping? He does, but um, he works a lot. Okay. So well, that's a problem. All day long. Yeah, I'm alone. Well, that, I mean, that's a problem to have to, to have you with both kids alone is too much work, and especially um, because when you have a newborn, there's a lot of things that mom has to do with breastfeeding things like that we want to make sure that dad comes in and picks up the slack a bit and is spending even more time with the older one so that the older one of course she still might want you so she feels less of an emptiness because she has her dad more so that that is a problem is there anyone else helping you with either okay well that's that's a challenge that that's tough and so we have to understand again you're asking me for what is your daughter feeling based on having sensory processing disorder we talked a bit about that but you have to also understand what your daughter is feeling now as far as having another child in the home and that's very painful so she's dealing with a lot of feelings of jealousy she's going to want to possess you she might feel angry towards the younger sibling you said she's hitting her although you said she can be aggressive with everyone um, was she always aggressive or more when the baby came? Pardon me? Was your, was your older daughter always aggressive and hitting or did it become more recently? Since the first day, always. No, since the first day of the baby being there or always she's been aggressive, even when she was younger? Um, always. Always, okay. Well, nonetheless, I was going to say she could also be angry at the situation, angry at the sibling, and that's why they take it out. And you have to make sure... Uh, you never leave them completely alone with each other. Make sure mm-hmm. that the baby is safe because the, the older one doesn't really know what she's doing, but she might go do, be aggressive with her. Is it what you said, brother or sister? Brother. Brother. So she might be aggressive with him, uh, not really knowing what she's doing. So even for her own protection, you have to keep her away from the younger one by herself. So that itself is not something that can be pretty normal that they get mad at the younger sibling. They you know, squeeze them too hard, hurt them, can push them, yes. those things. So you have to protect her from from that too and give that space. But it seems like you're feeling overwhelmed yourself trying to take care of both kids. Yeah. And um, uh, what, uh, um, 
what will happen to my daughter in future? Well, if if we want to be negative. Well, if we want to be negative, I I don't want to know if I want to be negative. I want us to be realistic. Um, and there isn't necessarily any reason that she can't live a fairly normal life. It does depend on how serious it is what she's dealing with. So I can't tell you exactly what she's going to experience. It seems like she will face some challenges, but I can't tell you that because she has this, her life is going to be bad or can't be good. She can um, live a fairly normal life. And what you want to do is make her not feel bad for the way she is. As I said before, it's not in her control. She's not trying to feel things the way she is. She's not trying to have a hard time processing things. And so you also have to be ready that as her brother becomes older and maybe some things will be easier for him than for her, that she doesn't feel bad about that. So you have to be careful to protect her in that way too. Not to make her feel bad about the way she is and not compare her to her brother um, as he gets older, because that could become an issue. So I want you to be, you know, I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen, and we don't know. All we can do is you have to make sure that both of your kids, but of course we're talking about her, you make her feel good about who she is, that you love her the way she is. You're not going to want her to be different or make her feel bad about any of these things she's dealing with. It's not her fault. And just make her feel good about what she can do, not focus so much on things she has difficulty with. Not that we're going to ignore them. She can still go to the therapy and she should be going. But make her feel good about who she is rather than who she is not. So you want to make sure you make her feel good. But from what I know about the disorder, it does depend on the severity, how serious it is. But it doesn't mean she can't live a fairly normal life. Mm -hmm. Should I concern about um, schizophrenia? I, as far as I don't, I know, I don't know about any relationship. Um, okay. It's possible. I honestly, to be to be honest with you, I don't know about that connection, and I wouldn't jump to that um, that issue. I would mm-hmm. focus more just because she's processing things doesn't mean she's going to necessarily um, hear voices. It's possible um, there can be some connections, but I wouldn't jump there yet. It's you know. I don't want to, just like we even talked about autism, it's possible she even has that. You're saying she doesn't, but there even are things like they might have more likely chance of OCD, uh, you know, OCD and other things, but we don't know yet. So I wouldn't jump to that point. Is, is there any schizophrenia in your family or your husband's family? Um, if I talk to my husband, um, he uh, looks like that when, as a kid, he looks like he had uh, some issues like our daughter, for example... <laughs> Um, he wants and she wants to touch other people's face, uh-huh. you know, which makes others uncomfortable. My husband is so, and tells me that when he was young, he used to do that with his friends, but now he controls himself. Or when, as a kid, he had sleep issue, uh-huh. or, but not now. Okay. What else? And, um, for example, he doesn't like to wear very tight clothes which looks like to be some sensory issue. Yeah, I was going to say it sounds sensory. Okay. Well, that sounds sensory too. Now, you know, the thing is, someone with schizophrenia has sensory issues because they might hear things. But as far as I know, if you have sensory processing disorder, it doesn't mean you're likely to develop it. So I wouldn't go there yet. And your baby is three and a half. 
There's a long time before anything like that would show itself. All you can do is to, to make her feel okay about who she is the best you can. Continue all the treatments that you can put her in, all the therapies, and, you know, make her feel okay for who she is. The most important thing you can do for any kid, but especially your child, is to make sure she feels okay being who she is, that you love her and accept her just the way she is. The other point is that unfortunately sometimes I get mad at her when she hits the baby. Yeah, well, that's that's what I'm talking about where you have to make sure, you know, this is for any older kid with a baby. It's very common. And I understand you don't like that. So first you have to not let the situations happen that much. So, yes, okay. she gets close to her. You have to be very aware. Anytime she's around the baby, you have to be right there, close enough to stop her. And if she does it, you don't tell her it's good. You can tell her that it wasn't good or we don't want to hurt her just like we don't like to get hurt but you know that that's okay but don't make her feel so bad about it don't think i have to yell at her to make her feel bad about it she's really it almost feels out of her control they they you don't make her a three-year-old feel bad about hitting your younger sibling you can tell her it's not good tell her we don't want to hurt each other we want to be nice to each other how can we be nice to her and that's about it or you can even say i think i can see maybe you're angry or you're upset but don't shame her or think you have to punish her for that it doesn't really make sense for her. so don't punish her for doing that just try to make sure it doesn't happen by being in between them and if and when it does happen just let her know it's not okay but don't don't yell at her and get mad and you know people say oh it's your sister how can you hit your sister or your brother how can you hit your brother don't get into all that just keep it more um basic like we don't you know we don't want to hurt her just hurt him just like you don't want us you don't want anything happen to you we don't want anything happen to him we have to play more gently something like that mm-hmm. yeah. okay sure thank you thanks and, for calling uh, I yes have a question, which might um sounds weird is it a bad sign that she's very smart is it a bad sign that she's very smart no i mean i i guess you're i can see how you're saying that sounds weird i don't have any I wouldn't say it's something weird. What are you concerned about? Uh, how can I explain? Um, at home, we just speak Persian. Um, no, I'm saying, what are you worried about that she's smart? What does that scare you about? Um, no, I'm not scared, but I'm just... I, uh, I hear sometimes that it's not good for babies to be too smart. You know, she has gone to preschool just for four months. Now she knows, knows all the alphabet, English alphabet. And, um, well, I'll tell you something else I'm hearing in how, you know, you're talking. I can feel that you're a very anxious person. Okay. So, so I think you're going to worry if she wasn't very smart, you'd probably ask me why is she not smart enough. And then now she's very smart. You're very worried that I wouldn't be so worried about that. That seems like a good thing. Um, as always, you want to praise the kid for their effort. So instead of saying she's so smart, make sure you make her know she's working hard and she's trying hard at school. That's why she's learning all these things. But I wouldn't be that doesn't make me worried when you say she's very smart. That sounds good so far and, and can encourage her to keep learning and keep trying hard. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate sure. Thanks for calling. My- no, no, you did great. And and take care of our, our little girl and little boy there. Wish you all the best. Thank you, and I wish the best for you. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delakwi. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. To end the show, I feel like I must talk about what happened this weekend in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, it was very, very sad, and I was really just watching the news with my jaw open. Just I couldn't believe what I was seeing, um, especially the footage of the car driving into the group of protesters where we know one person has died and many other were very badly injured. Um, it was just very, uh, very, very sad to see that uh, happening. And I was also very disappointed. I was waiting to see President Trump, what he would say in regards to what happened. And it's not about a political issue, um, but I was disappointed in what he said and how he described the hate as coming from uh, on many sides, as he put it. And I think everyone was waiting to see, will he say anything about the white supremacists, KKK, neo-Nazis? Um, but he, the way he described it, he basically called both sides equal and equally responsible for what was going on. And I was literally yelling at my television watching that because I was so upset and heartbroken that that's what he was saying. Uh, he now has come back and said things today, but two days later, saying racism is evil and those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups that are repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans. He said that um, this morning in a statement to reporters. And I must say that I'm happy to hear him say that now, but it does feel like too little too late because uh, what he said right in the aftermath was very telling. And I was very disappointed to see him say what he said, or I should say not say things that I wish he had said then. Um, because actually the, those groups that he now is calling out, they thought, and they even released statements saying that what he said showed that the president was on their side or he was basically in some ways supporting them. Um, and now we can talk about free speech. And I'm very big on free speech. And if I was born in Iran, I would not have the right to free speech where uh, my parents came from and where I could have been born, but I was born here. And I'm very grateful for that opportunity to have free speech. But that doesn't mean that all speech should be supported or is okay. Because we're not just talking about people who have different um, political views on something. Someone could say, I believe we should do this for the economy, or we should do this to taxes, or even about gun control or gun rights, this or that. But we're talking about groups who their values stand on hate, on discrimination, on racism, and on anti-Semitism, and basically saying they don't want certain people here. When we talk about free speech, a big part of that is so that everyone can say what they feel, but then hopefully that we could then come together and share ideas and come to some better understanding and agreement. But when you have some people who are saying they don't want other people or they almost want them dead, if they could, or at least definitely not here, well, it doesn't really allow for there to be discourse or for us to talk about issues. Um, and it was very sad just seeing the images from the night before Friday night, just the anger and hatred in the eyes of those who were marching with the torches. Um, and then seeing what was happening on Saturday 
where there was a lot of hate and there was just so much going on and then the images of what we saw. And I did like this quote from Nelson Mandela that I think is important to keep in mind. No one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. That's a quote from Nelson Mandela. And I think, uh, you know, when you see people who have these beliefs um, against certain groups, and it's, it's sad that we're talking about neo-Nazis or Nazism in the United States when um, maybe, what, 70-some-odd years ago, we were in a war fighting against the Nazis for what they're doing, but we're seeing Nazi salutes in the United States. I think that's really sad um, and a big sign of ignorance. Uh, and also people who are against the Confederate monuments and statues. Now, people talk about tradition or culture, and they say, well, the Confederate flag and these Confederate heroes of, of people from the South should somehow be protected or somehow it's okay because it's part of their so to heritage, so to speak. But to me, that sounds like if I said I want to wear a shirt that was like somehow pro-Iranian um, hostage crisis, like, oh, I'm Iranian, that's part of my history, but I wanted to wear a shirt that was promoting the hostage crisis, a time when people were taken in, Americans were taken in as hostages and say, well, you can't take that away from me. We're talking about a war that was fought over slavery. Of course, probably a lot of it had to do with economics, and I'm not a civil war expert, but definitely at the core of it was also slavery, and that the Emancipation Proclamation declared that slavery was abolished. The South did not want that, and so there was a war which essentially at the heart of it was that. So we have to understand that the Confederate flag to many people represents you want to uh, in some way, you're supporting the idea or there's some type of lineage of slavery there. It's not just about culture or the South. It's about hate and something not okay and about human rights, something that's a violation very directly of human rights. So when people say they don't like that expression, you can say it's of free speech, but it's really hate speech or even just the flag itself represents something so negative to individuals. I'm sure people could try to relate to that. So I'm all in favor of free speech, but very hurt to see that the voice of the speech has been so hateful and that many of them have been galvanized. I don't want to say it's directly due to Donald Trump, but I don't think it's possible to say that there's no connection there. And I think that is very alarming. And I think that's what made his silence so sad on Saturday um, that the way it looked to me was that rather than potentially push away some supporters of his or people that might vote for him, continue to support him and then vote for him in the next election, he didn't want to rock the boat and say anything that would upset them or push them away. And I thought that was very sad. Not only that, he quickly... Um, after saying a few words about the, the hate on many sides, he went into talking about showing off, essentially, or bragging about things he'd done so far in his presidency, about what a great country he's making. And I thought that was very insensitive and reflective of 
a deal of narcissism that he definitely displays. And, and that was heartbreaking too. We're talking about lives being lost, a very sad day for the country, and it seemed like he totally lost sight of that and was so focused on how he looks, both in not um, alienating any of his potential supporters, but also making sure he talked about how great of a job he's doing, and he made some other comments that really just blew me away. So I was really saddened by what happened Saturday. Um, a reminder of the work we have yet to be done when people tell me that racism no longer exists in the United States. I think it's laughable. It's definitely not true. And it's not just in these extreme groups that racism shows itself in the United States of America, also even in our institutions and in everyday situations that people encounter. So um, it was a very sad event, and I don't want to say we should look for any good in it, but I hope that we see that it's a wake-up call that there's a lot of work to be done and we have to be aware of the things that are going on around us. And we must not be silent. Um, those people protesting that day, they were speaking their voice or what they felt, but it's important for everyone to see their responsibility to say something, to do something, to be involved, to not just uh, sit by and see what happens. Uh, Martin Luther King said, well, remember more the silence of our friends than the hatred or negative words of our enemies. Those of us that believe that we should support one another and promote love, we have to be louder than the voices of hate and discrimination and prejudice. So be a strong voice of love. Don't keep that to yourself. Make sure people hear it and spread that message. Um, and hopefully we won't see incidences like we saw this past weekend. All right, we've reached the end of today's show. Thank you to the caller and the listeners and to Amir here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. Have a wonderful night.